Hello everyone, welcome to another Joe Gilligan Trust podcast with me, your host Craig Gilligan. Thanks very much for stopping by, you're very welcome. Now this one was recorded over eight months ago, so back in December 2019, so before the virus, before lockdown, uh, before all the, um, the ups and downs that we've experienced in recent months. Tom, Lisa and Frankie are living in Cologne, Germany, just for the moment because of Tom's work. So their time in the UK is very precious to them. So very pleased Tom was able to stop by and do this interview for us back in December 2019. Today's guest, I'm pleased to say, is Tom Leach. And for those of you that know know me, Alison and Sam and the Trust, you'll know that um, how close we are to Tom and how far back Joe and Tom go as friends together right right back really as far as I can remember um, so Tom is very special to us and an important part of our lives he is married to Lisa and they um, have the adorable Frankie uh, who I'm hoping we'll see later on this afternoon um, and Tom's got a really interesting story to tell um, a real story of overcoming challenge and difficulty when those around him, particularly his peers and his um, the people, his, his university lecturers, were telling him, no, you should stop, you should quit. Um, Tom is a real, he really did overcome adversity and does have a life-affirming story to tell us. So um, I'm very pleased to say that we're going to now meet Tom Leach. Okay, so happy Christmas, Tom. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much for coming round. I'm sure you've got a busy a busy few days at the moment, it's catching up with everybody and family. And Yeah, that's what happens when we come home. We have to fit in a year's worth of uh, family visits. So where have you been this afternoon? Did you meet some friends this afternoon? We went to see some old friends, yeah. April, you know. Yeah, I know April, yeah. We went around to remember April's April. Um, and yeah, uh, other school friends. Um, yeah. Cobe, Joe. No, Joe wasn't there. Mark was there. Yeah. Um, have, have you made friends in Germany? Like, obviously not as close as you've got now, but... Slowly but surely. We found it difficult, to be honest. Um, the, it's strange because I didn't think I'd be the sort of person that had moved to another country and make friends with the first British person that I met. Yeah. But my best friend in Germany is a person from Sheffield. So. Goodness me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. He... I guess there's something that's hard to put into words a sort of there's a, there's a reason that when people move to other countries they sort of congregate in parts of the city where you know the same nationality live isn't there I suppose and yeah. I think that's probably what happened on a smaller level yeah it's, I was going to ask you about this later Tom but seeing as you've we've kind of got got into that a bit so you've you're living in Germany now you've lived in Budapest mm-hmm. and worked in Budapest um what what are the immediate challenges for a when, when you first get to a... Because, I mean, you didn't have Frankie when you went to Budapest. Frankie is Tom's youngest... Your youngest. Yeah. As it implies you've got more than one. Uh, Frankie is Tom's daughter, who's now how old? Um, 
19 months. Right. So when when you when, when you arrive in it, in it you know what what are the challenges that you that you face when you first get there? It was two the two different uh, experiences had, had different challenges. We we were lucky in Budapest because we moved um, immediately into a hostel yeah. uh, that our friend was running. And so he was able to immediately plug us into um, a really big social group of people. Right. A lot right. of these people were kind of transient people that came and went all the time, but right. a lot of them... Um, lived there permanently and had chosen to make in Budapest their permanent home. Yeah. yeah. Um, but moving to Germany with Frankie was a lot more difficult because it's it's really hard as a as a person as an adult working full time to go up to an ad, another adult and say, "Will you be my friend?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, it feels kind of yeah. childish. So you have to find yeah. ways of. Um, <laughs> of talking to these people outside of a work environment, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which can be difficult, but absolutely. And wait, t- t- tell me, well, t- tell anybody listening, you know, professionally now, what is it that you you're doing in Germany in Cologne, um, isn't it? We moved to Germany because I got a job at the Max Planck Institute for the Biology of Aging. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Max Planck Group is a um, a group of research institutes in Germany and a few other countries, um, each with a specific focus, um, and they are the highest ranked research organisation in Germany, and um, they are government funded, so they don't have to deal with the the usual uh, grant application processes that a lot of research institutes and universities in the UK are beholden to. So they're very well funded, um, and consequently the work that they produce is, um, is considered to be top-notch. Yeah. So what, what's the main research that goes on there, or is it lots of different? There is, but the institute that mm. I work at, as I say, is the biology of ageing, and so mm. everybody's uh, research focus has an, an ageing angle. So essentially what we are trying to do is um, research in general has been quite successful at extending lifespan lifespan is extended um, dramatically over the course of the last 50 years because of a variety of factors that have all converged yeah Yeah. Um, this is things like a general improvement in healthcare and medicine um, in vast improvements in pardon me childbirth yeah um safety and all that sort of thing yeah but, um as well as public health campaigns surrounding smoking and all this sort of thing yeah, yeah. um so we've been really successful at expand expanding the the limits of human life but the problem is people are in general still getting poorly at the same age right so people right. still in general will start to notice age-related um, conditions develop, you know, between the ages of 60 and 70, you know, sort of yeah. 60, 65. Yeah. Um, and that's not changed. So there's no real point in developing the ability to, you know, ex- extend a person's life by 25 years if they're just going to spend that extra time 
um, been sick. Yeah, of course. And so of course. the focus of a lot of the research is to find translatable um, sort of biological phenomena that we can use to increase the health span as well as the lifespan Crikey. of humans. Right. Um, and we do that using a variety of animal models. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the labs use worms, um, and then we this sort of what a, a common way to go about this research is to start at the bottom and work your way up the sort of biological yeah. tree of life. So yeah. you go from worms to flies to fish to mice, with the eventual aim of yeah. putting something in place in humans, yeah. which is of course kind of the holy grail. But fascinating. And you, and your particular area at the moment is that still based on flies? Is that where your research? That's right. Experiments yeah. that you're that you're involved in. Exactly. Yeah. So my chosen model species is Drosophila melanogaster, right. um, which is the common fruit fly. So if you've yeah. ever been to um, a pub and you see the tiny flies floating around the taps, or yeah. in the summer when the bananas go overripe, yeah, um, and you see the little the little flies buzzing around. Yeah. That's the common fruit fly, and that's what I use for the vast majority of the work that I do. Um, and the reasons for this are, are sort of manifold, but what it comes down to really is that they're very easy to keep. So it's, it's very easy to generate huge numbers of these flies, which is what you need to do to generate robust biological data. Yeah, yeah. Um, they share an enormous amount of what we call homology. So this is the things that we have in common between species, essentially. So to put that in perspective, 70% of the genes which have been linked to one form of disease or another in humans have a direct equivalent in the fruit fly. Wow. Um, wow. So It's amazing to think that, isn't it? Yeah, the, the tiny flies yeah, that you, you see You just can't get your head around it. Yeah. Incredible. And they've offered some of the most profound biological insights. Yeah. I think there's been three or four separate Nobel Prizes yeah. um, in physiology and medicine that have been won on the basis of research conducted just on the humble fruit fly. Is, is the research of that level and of that nature going on in the UK? Using flies or you're talking about yeah. Nobel winning research? Generally speaking, yeah, Nobel winning research. Is it, is it, are, are the Germans the kind of at the cutting edge of this? The, the Nobel... The Nobel Prize is often shared between uh, institutes in Europe and America. And yeah. uh, the Max Planck has, has been yeah, responsible for quite a lot. Of, I wouldn't say a lot. Has certainly been responsible for some of the research yeah. Um, yeah. that has gone on to win Nobel Prizes, which is you know, it's an inspiring environment Amazing. to be around. I mean, was, was the... Was the desire to work in Germany because I you know, I know that you love to travel, or was it because that's where the work, the work was for you? Was was there no you know, opportunities in the UK at the time when you were looking for employment after, after um, your PhD? There was a few things that led us down the the sort of the German path. The, mm. One of the big appeals is the quality of the research in Germany. Is, yeah, absolutely. Is really hard to match elsewhere in Europe yeah you could argue Switzerland um, has the ability to sort of match it and certain yeah. places in the UK but 
in general, Germany is the place to be yeah, for biological absolutely. research. Um, it's also um, a lot of the social care is appealing over there. So yeah. having had Frankie recently, we um, we're able to to survive as a family in Germany in a way that we wouldn't be able to in the UK. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Which it, essentially the wages um, are better when you take into account the cost of living over there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a, a big draw, but also we just wanted to go to Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah. We like being in the middle of Europe just yeah. because I find our way of thinking is a bit more aligned than sort of. Yeah, absolutely. And you've always had that, haven't you? You've always loved to travel. Yeah. Because I mean, when you were a student, you went to Australia, didn't you? And That's right. Yeah. You, was that a gap year? You, or, I can't um, remember now. Yeah, that kind was. of an enforced gap year. Yeah. Um, so what what happens was I finished college and uh, got the grades needed to go to university yeah. and then um, was taken. Well, I was taken ill at college. Yeah. Um, and was a sixth form college now. It's sixth yeah, form. Yeah, A levels, right? Okay. Yeah, and during the first year, um, and I sort of was I was given the option to either. Um, to finish the year where I'd left it and yeah. um, take some time to get better and then rejoin college a year later with a clean slate. Was that kind of the end of year 12 going into 13 maybe? Was, Lower sixth? Kind of the middle of year 12. Though. Right, okay. So so the, fairly early on yeah. in your sixth form yeah, experience. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I really didn't have any desire to do that. Yeah. For yeah. It's... The, honestly, the main reason that I wanted to kind to to persist and carry on was that I was I really enjoyed my year group. I had a lot of friends yeah. in that year group, and I didn't yeah. want to leave them behind. Yeah, of course. So it wasn't any sense of, you know, yeah. It was really just kind of pragmatic. I didn't want to leave my yeah. friends. That's and so, a, absolutely. I think it's a great reason. Yeah. You know, um, I suppose it's as good a reason as any. What kind of support were you getting from your sixth form tutors at the time? Were they encouraging to you know to continue or were they suggesting that you no they, they the all thought or... that it was silly to continue right they all thought that right. i should um i would be better served yeah uh, finishing and starting again yeah. the following year which so makes sense at, that, at, that, at, this, at this point time tell us what about about your illness and what and what it is that you so it was the with. it was the culmination of a sort of a long looking back what we realized was kind of a long period of time where what started as a fairly routine health complaint gradually grew out of control but it happened in such a sort of slow way that we didn't appreciate the severity until yeah. it happened so i've always yeah. suffered with allergies of the sinuses yeah. this is something that i've always had um and basically as, as soon as i around about the age of 14 or something, these allergies really became out of control. Yeah. Um, and they got worse and worse and they weren't being controlled by the typical antihistamines yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so what essentially happened was um, the, the allergies were 
serious enough that they blocked my sort of nasal passages completely. Yeah. Which meant that the the huge excess of mucus that my nose was producing had nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this this is of course the perfect environment for you know nasty Absolutely. bacteria yeah. and stuff to grow, which is exactly what happened. Um, and I started to get really severe headaches um, yeah. in the forehead, in the front part of my head here. Yeah. Um, and it kind of got misdiagnosed a couple of times yeah, as various sure. things because uh, at the time it was confused by one incident in particular where I'd been to a gig um, and during the heat of the gig somebody was crowd surfing and gave me a good kick in the head as they went past and right. so for a while it was treated as a suspected skull fracture right, right. um which you know it definitely it wasn't no, absolutely. Hindsight. um and yet things culminated when um my forehead swelled and um it became completely deformed and i started to i just became really seriously unwell yeah with a, a yeah. huge temperature um, yeah. And we went to the doctors and uh, eventually, after a little bit of back and forth, discovered that I'd got a really serious, uh, what had turned into um, an infection of the bone. Right. Um, and the infection... As in, as in skull. skull exactly, bone. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the sinus is the gap between two pieces of bone in your skull. But yeah. The sinus is where the infection started. But right. But it, it had... It had been going on for so long that the internal portion of the bone had eroded completely. Right, right. Um, which explains the the headaches. And of course, at that point, the infection is on the brain. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's gone from being osteomyelitis, which is an infection of the bone, to, yeah. uh, you know, meningitis type. Yeah, illness. of course. Yeah. Um, and so when we discovered this happened, I was rushed down to surgery and yeah. had... Um, a craniotomy, yeah, uh, which yeah. is where they removed the bone flap in the front part of my skull. Yeah, um, they removed the infection, and on that occasion, they were able to uh, clean the existing bone fragment up enough to put it back in. Yeah, um, and then yeah. they sewed me back up, and I was in hospital for weeks. With so at this point, you were you were seventeen then. Yeah, doing your you just started your A levels. Exactly, uh, that must have been a huge. A huge challenge at that point because I guess all your friends were away and enjoying themselves and things, and you yeah. were stuck in hospital for weeks on end and exactly, being treated yeah. for infections and stuff. And no, that, um, that's that's exactly. I remember coming to see you with Joe there. I remember we we yeah. it was in that was it like a basement? Yeah, I it, it felt it felt quite quite low down anyway. Do you remember? Are you thinking it was this room with the huge window? Yeah, yeah. and I was right next to the window. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah I yeah. remember exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that and that was your and that was your first craniotomy. That was the first and, one, yeah. And at that at that point, you were told, weren't you, that maybe you should defer your defer your A levels. And so, when did you get back into actually studying? There would have been probably as soon as I was the end home, of year twelve, or, or more or less. Yeah. I didn't I didn't do anything work related while I, whilst I was in yeah. hospital. Yeah. But more or less, as soon as I was at home recovering, um, I started to teach myself the curriculum, basically. Right. Right. Um, I got all the books i could all the exam papers i could and taught myself yeah biology chemistry psychology and business a level right four a levels yeah four a levels right um and i did the uh yeah i did i i did did that and um 
I didn't get such good marks, but my marks were good enough to get yeah. me into uni. Yeah. So I, I, I ended up missing all of year 12, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you did, you did the two-year course in one, really. Yeah. Largely self-taught, by the sounds of it. That's, yeah, that's yeah, essentially what happened in the end. Was was there ever a, t- a temptation there to just give up on it and, and think, well, I'll just go back to this? Or did you always want to? There honestly wasn't. No. I don't remember thinking, yeah. you know, I didn't have an alternative plan and I wanted to yeah. to be with my friends. And so this was the way to do that. And, and was that was that the main driving force to, to get back to your friends and to be with your year group? It when you're really, in your darkest moments, what what was it that? It 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 was a yeah a desire to get back to what was a really close and still is a close yeah. group of friends yeah um and kind of I think it motivated me being told repeatedly that yeah. this wasn't a good you idea. couldn't do it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean that's yeah that's not a unique emotion I'm sure but yeah. it's nice to kind of prove someone yeah. wrong, isn't it? it's something we, we touched on in the podcast with josh in that there seems to be you know a, res, a resilience in younger people that there isn't in yeah older people i think when you're younger you do feel bulletproof and you can yeah because we used to see it in joe and, and, and on the cancer unit you yeah. think goodness me you know you have somebody on a chemo pump and still doing their gcse's or their yeah a levels and you think you know how's that working how do you do that that's really incredible that's really fascinating because um, this is um I mean, you could look at that from the aging angle. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, what is it about the aging process? Yeah. This is perhaps more a psychological question than it is a biological one. Yeah. Although I'm sure there are biological causes. But what is it about the aging process which, um, yeah, strips a person of their resilience yeah, and exactly. this sort of inner confidence? Makes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know. Because, there, I mean, we used to, I mean, there was occasions when Joe had to go onto one of the adult wards. Yeah. And there'd be people kicking the chemo pumps down the ward and kicking and screaming but the, the the younger people were calmer yeah you know and that was that was all of them yeah um, i wonder if there's a uh, a benefit to be had there and having deliberately mixed age wards do you think the yeah. younger people could have yeah uh, yeah calming influence on I, the older people that are not dealing with it i so think well, so then? definitely yeah absolutely i've seen it in action so yeah, yeah it works it works but tom you were you were met with a similar thing again at university when you went to Leicester yeah, exactly. University and did the same thing happen again? Was exactly. it a worse a worse attack this time? Or it a... was it was a repeat of the exact same situation. Um, yeah, the allergies still weren't being kept under control. Yeah. Um, so is it is it an allergy to, to any one thing or is it you know ubiquitous? The, that's a good question and something that I'm still not clear on. I know that I'm definitely allergic to tree pollen and grass pollen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm definitely allergic to house dust mites, which basically covers all inside areas and all outdoor areas. <laughs> okay, all right then. So everything then. Essentially everything. Think of it. Life. As I'm allergic life. to life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not in favour of it anymore. Life. <laughs> Goodness me. So, crikey! So you had a you'd have to you had a second craniotomy, didn't you? I think at one point was, was this in the first year of uni? Or no, this or? was going into the final year of uni. So yeah. this was I'd done first and second year, um, and I think it was November of my third year. So I think I'd only been back at 
university for four weeks or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and exactly the same thing happened and it happened again. I got a really severe headaches and swelling. Um, I used to know it was bad because I get these fever dreams. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've had them, but I yeah, would fever dreams. Yeah. on the most mundane things in my sleep all night. And right. I remember two instances in particular where I woke up in the morning and I'd spent all night thinking about oats. <laughs> I just <laughs> an- analysed oats inside right. out all night, back to front. God, wow. That's uh, um, And that was when I realised that I wasn't well. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we yeah we went to hospital and I had a scan and it, it was same again same again, um, and so they did the same procedure. They cut um, the same scar open in the same place. I mean, how how many of these things can a person have done? Because I mean, it's a really you know serious thing, isn't it? Extensive, yeah. you know, cutting you from ear to ear basically. Yeah, and you've and that that's twice now. So yeah. Um, it's not a question I've ever asked. No, I suppose not really. It's not something you would ask, is it? But it's a it's a big deal. It's an invasive operation. There's no there's no easy way of accessing that part of the skull right. without cutting yeah, your, think, your head from ear to ear, peeling yeah. the skin down, and just yeah. removing that piece of skull. Yeah, right. Um, but this time they um, they weren't able to salvage the outer piece of bone. Right. Um, and so um, they they just didn't replace it. Yeah. Uh, which means yeah. that and yeah. they still, I mean, it's still the same now. There's no there's no um, bone there. It's just sort of yeah. skin and brain. Could you could you have some sort of a graft if you wanted to or yeah. The, titanium the, or whatever or absolutely there's options yeah. there's all sorts of these semi-synthetic bone yeah uh, you know reconstruction polymers yeah um but the main reason that my doctors were hesitant to do that was because they couldn't guarantee that it wouldn't happen again right okay and it's it's hard to remove yeah um one of especially one of these um polymers that the bone grows into it's actually really my understanding, at least, is that it's hard to remove that. Yeah. Once yeah. it becomes, once it yeah. takes. Um, so as long as you can, you, you're just going to go without that, aren't you? Because yes, that's, that's a you know. Exactly. I was told from, from not to do saying. any boxing. Yeah. Uh, not to do any rugby. That's all right then. <laughs> you'd have done that anyway. Not really, to be honest. No. Uh, but the thing is, though, Tom, that's that's the second time, and then this time, tell me if I'm wrong. You know, university lecturers were saying the same thing. Yeah. You should quit, defer. Start exactly. again in a year's time. Yeah, exactly. And once again, you dug in and you, you, you know, it which was... is incredible. It's incredible resilience, Tom, you know. I mean, if you could bottle that, if you could find a way of expressing yeah. what, I mean, what, what was the driving force that time? Just just that you wanted to get uni done, get it finished. I, I wanted to finish. Um, I, I went to uni with a lot of the same friends I went to college with. Right, okay. Um, we um, lived in a house together at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, they kept me going. I had one lecturer out of, um, you know, the many that I dealt with that had had a similar experience in her final year of university. Right. She was my, um, in your final year as a biology student, you do um, like a final project, the big project. Yeah. Um, And this is like a big practical piece of work where you get taken into a lecturer's lab um, and you have three months to conduct an original piece of research. Yeah. Um, and the, the 
the supervisor I had was Martha Clokey. Um, and she was, uh, she was on my side. She was the only one right, really, okay. that definitely right. um, thought that if I thought I could do it, then I should just do that because that's right. what she did. I think uh, she'd had a similar experience during university yeah. and she persisted and cracked on and that's what I did. So between the two of us, we, got, we had this really, we had a good relationship. And yeah. so I was no, I missed all the time that I should have been in the lab doing this project. Um, but she said, why don't you do a library project instead, which is right. something that you can do after the fact if you miss that initial period. Yeah. So I think I eventually, I went off sick in November and went back to university in February or something. Yeah. Um, and I did this library project, um, which I found fascinating. It was a yeah. topic that really interested me. Um, and I read an enormous amount about it. And this, the project, uh, the, the library project is basically what um, mm. kind of, it was the catalyst for turning yeah. that year into <clears throat> what was, what ended up being a, a good year yeah. academically. Tell us just a, a little bit about what that library project was about in, in layman's terms. So this was, um, it was a microbiology lab that was concerned with um, the rise of um, of bacteria that are resistant to the to the usual antibacterials that we use antibiotics and, and, right. and stuff. So they were they were trying to. This is it. That's that's the the, the problem that was at the core of what they did. And, right. and the way that they dealt with that is uh, by going back to a technique, a technology that was used a hundred years ago. Um, and which, because of a sort of combination of historical and scientific factors, got left by the wayside. And this technique is phage therapy, which is where you use viruses um, to target specific bacteria. So an antibiotic is um, a, it's a chemical which interacts with the bacteria in, some, in you know, a variety of different ways. Yeah. They all have yeah. specific modes of action. The ultimate aim is to kill the bacteria. Um, but because the specific um, sort of cellular machinery that these antibiotics target are under enormous evolutionary selection, uh, the bacteria and the bacteria um, evolve so quickly, um, resistance develops very quickly. The advantage of using a virus, which is a living, replicating thing, um, is that it evolves too. Right. Um, right. And so right. should a bacteria evolve resistance to the virus, the virus is subsequently able to evolve a new way of attacking the bacteria. Right. It's, so do you think it has chameleon-like qualities in that it can change and it can develop? Exactly, and, yeah. They're um, very malleable. Yeah, um, yeah. And, which is a huge advantage. And also they're yeah. very specific. Um, so often... Um, the bacteria which is causing a problem, in my case, it was Pseudomonas aeruginosa. This is a, you know, it's not necessarily uh, problematic a lot of the time, but in, uh, in certain cases it can be. Yeah. And when it is, it's often just that bacteria which is the problem. And antibiotics right. will strip your body of, you know, a variety of different bacterial species, most of which are actually useful a lot of the time. 
Right. Um, right. But phage, phage therapy uses a very specific virus which only attacks a single type of bacteria. Right. Okay. Uh, which means that you're not getting any of these off-target effects. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, this project really ignited my thinking yeah. and it got me... But the fact that you've, you've done that twice is... You know, inspirational, Tom. The, the the fact that during A levels you you were met with this, and then again when you went to university, and you left with the first, yeah, it's just you know fantastic. And I, I guess in terms of, of of what you would say was the reason for that, friends had a massive part to play, didn't they? Friends and yes, an enormous know. part, yeah. and a sort of a desire to to prove somebody wrong. Yeah, <laughs> determinate dogged determination. And, yeah. And friends, I'm just thinking of anybody else who might listen to this, who's maybe at the moment who's unwell or or sitting on some teenage cancer ward somewhere, who's thinking, yeah. "Well, I'm going to get through this." And um, difficult to say, isn't it? But friends, definitely. And I saw that in Joe, you know, with yourself and everybody. You know, friends are friends are important, aren't they? Particularly, I think, well, all of us. Um, yeah, remarkable. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I wish I could, I wish I could give a single piece of advice, but I don't think I there think is. I, don't, I think simply being young is a massive advantage in and yeah. of itself. Yeah. Because you you have the the ability, the demeanor, the time. Yeah. To um. To 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 just tackle, you know what, what to a young person just doesn't seem insurmountable. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the phrase you hear a lot. I never thought it would happen to me. Is 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 something that young people say a lot, and and yeah. and I think it does create a you know resilience to to these sort of things. Yeah. But to to do what you've you did, Tom, was just amazing. And and do, do do you think any of the any of the research? I mean, we just mentioned about the kind of chameleon like qualities of cancer cells because it it seemed to me like if if you if you unfortunate enough to get cancer and you get mm. hit with chemo. And it comes back a second time. Then mm. the 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 cancer gene has developed and changed, and kind yeah. of okay, they're going to hit me again, and it's changed. And that's certainly I think what happened in Joe's case, in that it became tougher, yeah, and stronger. Um, I mean, do, do you think there's there's research out there that will get us anywhere one day with this horrible disease? Is there anything being done in Germany or any cancer research? Do you think that's going to make a difference? There's. You're exactly right, and this is one of the things that makes treating cancer so difficult. Also, cancer using the term cancer encompasses an enormous variety of, um, you know, of different things that are actually happening yeah. at a subcellular level. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ability of the this, the cells are replicating so quickly that they evolve resistance, which is exactly right. what you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. And it's no different to a bacteria in that regard. Right, okay. Um, and that is evolved one of the resistance. reasons that it's so difficult yeah. to treat. Yeah. Um, but there is amazing research going on all the time. Yeah. And there's yeah. W- there's there's one particular researcher I'm thinking of that works in New York. Um, he works on fruit flies. Um, oh. And... The work that he does is um, truly groundbreaking. Um, he's sort of gone at the drug discovery um, angle in a com- in a completely different way. Um, and so, what's of- what's often happening in cancer patients is um, not just one or two genetic mutations which are causing these uh, the aberrant division of cells. 
project. It can be up to two or three hundred different genes that have particular mutations, right? Um, which is just a, a really difficult thing yeah. to to tackle. Yeah. Um, and so what um, this person has done is develop a way of putting up to 16 different mutations into a, a fruit fly. Um, and that's no easy thing to do. No, absolutely. Um, and so what, what they do is they, they take um, a sample um, from a patient's a biopsy. Um, I think the, the cancer that they are targeting preferentially to begin with is thyroid cancer. And they'll take a sample and they phenotype the sample, which is to say they find out everything they can about it. The, the metabolites, so the chemicals that these cells are throwing out. Um, the genotype, which is um, what I just mentioned, where the mutations are and what yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, basically, they learn as much as they can about these cancer cells. Yeah. Um, and using some really clever software they essentially whittle down um that number of mutations to what is considered to be the the 16 or less ideally fundamental mutations which are causing ill health in this patient crikey and then what they do is they put those mutations into a fruit fly yeah so they create an avatar yeah for an individual patient Wow. So, so if Joe had been, you know, if this was an option in this country and yeah. Joe had been lucky enough to get onto this trial, what would have yeah. happened is the doctors, Joe goes into surgery, they take a biopsy, it's immediately sequenced and genotyped, and um, we figure out which of those 60 mutations are present there. Yeah. Then we create a fly which has those 60 mutations, and we can hit that fly. We, we create 400,000 of those flies right. that are all genetically identical. Right. And then you hit each one of those flies with a different combination of up to three drugs. Right. And those drugs can be one uh, anti-cancer drug um, and any combination of two other drugs. But it can't be two anti-cancer drugs in combination because right. that would be a breach of um, okay. the... FDA regulations on this yeah. particular clinical trial. Right, right. Um, and the the other drugs are drugs that could be used for any imaginable medical condition, things that we don't typically use in cancer, in cancer patients. Um, but there's something about these particular combinations that means that one fly lives for 30 days longer than its nearest neighbour. right. And so you can then look at the combination of drugs that that fly was on. You can take it to an oncologist and say, is this sensible yeah. to put into a person? Yeah. Is there, is there an obvious reason why we shouldn't be putting this drug, this drug and this drug yeah. into a person with you know, thyroid cancer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if, um, if it's decided that there's no obvious reason why that shouldn't be the case, um, that's what they do. They give the person those three drugs um and he's had really remarkable success that's amazing that's absolutely amazing because we we were told 10 years ago that the it wasn't operable and i think surgery is now operable on the pineal region yeah i mean only i mean it's it's rare to get a brain tumor anyway but only one percent are on the pineal gland is that right and it's now i think i think it is now operable i think 
with proton beam therapy and different things from what I've seen anyway. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think research moves on quicker with the more common cancers perhaps yeah. really. Um, but yeah, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So the cancer that Joe had is considered a, a very rare type of cancer. Yeah, extremely rare because he had a tumour on the pineal gland and then it was a malignant tumour and it was a teratoma. If it had been something called a germinoma, I think they're, the outcome was, I think they're a lot more curative. Mm. Teratomas, the more aggressive range. Um, and we were told that surgery wasn't really an option. It could have caused you know, devastation really in terms of, well, all sorts of things basically. Mm. But we were told that that wasn't an option. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, I guess now it's different, isn't it? I guess things have, things have moved on. Um, but you get a sense that the research and the and the investment and the training goes into the more common cancers, which I guess is understandable. Um, yeah, that unfortunately doesn't is... really help when you're in your darkest hours. But you know, it's no. it's kind of um, you know, um, amazing, Tom. So listen, just 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 moving away from. I mean, what was it always science for you? Was it always going to be science that you wanted to do? Um, that's a good question. I was always open. Um, yeah. A lot of different things interested me. Yeah. I yeah. have always loved reading. Yeah. Um, and that was something that was interesting. I played music a lot yeah. as a teenager. I mean, yeah. Joe got me into yeah. music in a big way. Yeah. Uh, Joe taught me to play my first guitar. Yeah. Um, Did you? Because you, you, you were in a band, weren't you? Was, it, was that a band with Joe or not? I can't remember. So we had various guises. Yeah. Um, and... Actually, it's funny. The visit that you mentioned when you came to see yeah. me um, in that hospital with yeah. the big window and the sun beaming, and I can remember it clearly. Yeah. Um, in the in the months leading up to that, I'd been bugging Joe and bugging Joe and bugging Joe to play drums in this <laughs> band that I was starting. Oh, right. <laughs> because our drummer was... Um, he was struggling with his shoulder. Right. So he wasn't able to keep up with us, basically. And I'd been bugging Joe for ages. Um but obviously, Joe had got loads of other commitments in much better bands than this one. Um, um, and then on that time you came to see me, yeah. you must have uh, seen me at death's door in that hospital yeah. bed and re- rethought because oh. he, he said, I'm going to play in that band. Right. Oh, and, uh, and that's what we did, yeah. And then we had a few yeah. months playing together oh. and just messing around and it was amazing. But yeah, Joe taught me, yeah, he, we played that guitar upstairs for hours yeah. and then I got my first acoustic and he taught me how to play that and <laughs> my mum was sure it would be a phase and yeah. it wasn't a phase and I still play guitar now. It's always been a big part of your life, hasn't it, music has? You've always loved music, haven't you? I mean, what what at, at the moment are you still... Because I, I see some of the lists you do on Spotify and things mm. and you you seem to like some of the older funk and soul music and yeah, which is right, yeah, it's my kind of era, that stuff is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. We, I sort of transitioned eventually to uh, making music on my own. Yeah. Uh, I use, uh, I got into electronic music and yeah. made a lot of stuff on my laptop. Um, and I've kind of gone full circle because I don't have a lot of time now. But yeah. when I do have time, the music that I try and record, albeit roughly, is more guitar kind of music. Yeah. But on a computer that I can do yeah. myself. The, right. the, the last project that I got into musically making was um, when we found out we were having Frankie um, and I started to think of it 
I guess from kind of a scientific point of view. Yeah. And I was thinking about what sort of music a baby would like to listen to. <laughs> right. Um, and so I, I came up with a few different criteria that I thought yeah. it would have to have. And I thought, well, in terms of the, of the BPM, it should probably be round about the BPM of a heartbeat. Yeah, sure. Um, and so um, I, 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 set, uh, I, I set my metronome when I was recording these songs to about 80 beats per minute, which right. was round about what Lisa's heart rate runs right. at. <laughs> um, and the, the next thing I thought about was um, white noise. So yeah. obviously yeah. in, in there, I'm, you, you often have all these toys for newborns, which we yeah. get the white noise sounds or whatever. Oh. And so the first oh. thing that I did was created a like a, a kind of this white noise background yeah. with these little modulations in pitch and frequency. Yeah. Um and really quiet vocal snippets in the background. Yeah. That were kind of muffled. Um and then in terms of the actual musicality, there was there was there was no drums at all. Um because I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind that these I wanted to make kind of lullabies that could help the baby sleep. And so the melodies were all very simple guitar-based yeah. melody, melodies, yeah. very repetitive, yeah. um, around kind of vaguely jazzy chords, like some yeah. major sevenths and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, it was that was the last thing that I really got into making. Did it, did it work? Did you play them to? Frankie, then did you play yeah, them when, when Lisa was pregnant? Oh, what you say? She hated him, but oh my goodness, yeah, but Frankie hated everything. So. Yeah, oh, it's absolutely brilliant. I didn't take it personally. <laughs> so that was. Uh, so have you got all that stuff here with, with you in Germany? Have you got your computer and all your software? I've got for that like and... a really stripped back yeah. setup. I've got my laptop, my guitar. My, I've got my amp, which um, can plug directly into my laptop. It's got yeah. a U, there's a USB port on the amp, so I don't need an interface. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is handy, and I've got a really small MIDI controller keyboard, yeah. which I use yeah. just for sort of synth and pads and yeah. that sort of thing. So um, when when you're not when you're not at work and you're not thinking of science and all these complex things that you're doing, how do you? you know, is it relaxing to music or films and reading? Is that what you enjoy doing? Yeah, m- music is a big thing. Although yeah. I find it harder and harder to. This is something you must have experienced yourself, I'm sure. To after a day of doing something sort of mentally exhausting, yeah. To find the energy to do something creative. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find it hard to balance those two absolutely, things. Absolutely, Tom, yeah. Yeah. Um, I never had music on at home ever. Is that right? Well I've, I've been listening to some kid bang the drums from yeah. eight o'clock in the morning. You know, the last yeah. thing you want to do at night is put some music on, exactly. really. So which which is where podcasts come in or yeah. reading and things which is great but yeah yeah so uh, and films of course i know you love you love your films don't you as well yeah i do yeah so I, I, uh, photography you've got have you still got that polaroid and things you do you have a polaroid camera black and white yeah i i this was a this that, that i did get into photography because i found this was an easier way of um sort of express of, of expressing creativity essentially yeah. And what I mean by easier is less time consuming than setting up my little recording yeah. station yeah, in of course. the corner of the bedroom. Yeah. So, yeah, I find that one way or another, I have to do something that is making. Yeah, creative. creative in one way. And if it's not, if I spend 
while making music, then I don't feel the need to pick up a camera. Yeah. And if for some reason I can't pick up the guitar, I find myself gradually gra- mm. uh, gravitating towards the camera. And yeah. film photography just appeals to me so much more than digital. It's interesting how both you and Josh have got the, the, the scientific side and also you know creativity, which, mm. which is great. You know, It's not that you, you're both strictly on one or the other. Yeah. Um, because I wouldn't know where to start with science, really. I've got a clue. That's because <laughs> but, you're a much better musician than me. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe once. I don't know anymore. I th- yeah, no, I think you're right. I think people don't tend to have both. And if they do have both, then they're just okay at yeah. both of them. I, I feel like I'm not a good musician and I'm not a fantastic scientist. But if, um, you know, if... Yeah, the people that are truly talented are the people that can do. I think you're somebody who can prove people wrong, Tom, with what you've achieved and what you know, overcoming you. What we said earlier about your A levels and then your degree that showed incredible strength of character. Um, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a random question now. Yeah, is there something that you believe to be true that you think maybe most people wouldn't agree with? That's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Now that could be religion or it could be anything really is there something that you think that probably would go against the mainstream or it's a question that came to me and i'm not quite, quite sure what i'm asking it's you really <laughs> but i mean um, something that i believe to be true yeah that, that that maybe maybe most people would not think would not think to be true i wonder what most people think about aliens yeah <laughs> what do you think about aliens i think yeah i think absolutely i think there's I'd be interested to see the numbers on that. Yeah. I, I'm convinced about that. I mean, I, th- I think in terms of life yeah. on other planets, absolutely. I think, it, you know, once we locate water, there's going to be, you know, water is life, isn't it? Water is life. Yeah. And it's life. I know if you don't drink enough as a human being, you're going to get into trouble. You don't put the, enough water on the plants. Yeah. Water is life. So I think once we locate, you know, substantial amounts of water on another planet, I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, Even if it's just these simple bacterial yeah. life forms, there's got to be something there. I'm sure of that. But actually, I, I tend to think the majority of people would agree with that now. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure. What about God? God and me don't... We don't have a lot in common. Yeah. I don't think... I went to a Catholic school. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we... Um, we were taught, you know, about the Bible and yeah. uh, Christianity and, and whatnot. Um, but I don't believe in God. Yeah. yeah. There's, I mean, there's a, there's a few reasons why. Um, but I think of the earth as um, a kind of, so there's a pond, there's a small pond in, uh, my dad's garden um, and there's a frog that lives in the pond um, and to that frog um, that pond is all it really knows yeah yeah um, and beyond it <clears throat> um, it's it's hard to say for sure what what there is um, but there's that's the way that I sort of and I see the earth um, there's no there's no, there's no reason to think that there's anything, mm. there's any single thing that created it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's lots of arguments. I Catholics can, uh, 
being a Catholic guy, working in a Catholic school, and we can cherry pick the values. That always makes me smile, you know, with Catholics. And we'll take that one, but we won't have this one. Yeah. But I really hope there is a God. Yeah. So I can tell him what a shit bag he is yeah. when I actually get, you know. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just the thing that I'm sure there are biologists that believe in God. Um, but I struggle to square those, those two things yeah. in, my, in my mind. Yeah. Because if you believe that we're going to heaven yeah. and you believe that we're an animal, yeah. um, then heaven is presumably populated with the spirits of every living thing that has ever died unless yeah. you assign some sort of um, you know, sp- special meaning, yeah. some sort of special intrinsic value to humans over and above other forms of life yeah um which i i don't that's not the case is Mm. it i don't think no absolutely i mean i'm sure somebody if anybody ever does listen to these podcasts (laughs) i'm sure somebody's got a clever answer for this but today in the news in fact today's the 27th of december christmas eve in fuengarola in spain a nine-year-old girl jumps in the swimming pool of a four-star posh place and and starts to i think i don't know if she got caught in something with mm. the filter but she struggled dad dives in to try and save her and 16 year old brother dives in to try and save dad all three die all three die in a five-star four five-star hotel swimming pool in spain so you've got to ask yourself where there's some kind of god at that point you know whether whether the nine-year-old girl was trapped in a filter or trapped in a pump but she, but she dies at nine. Brother dies at sixteen, and dad dies as well. All in you know, Christmas Eve in Spain. Well, you would, you know, it's just beyond belief, isn't what, it? Really? What possible explanation for is that? You know, from a being that is apparently all knowing and all yeah, powerful. Absolutely. He, you know, there's something wrong with him if that's the stuff he yeah, gets his kicks out. Of. I'll just watch that go on, and we'll we'll do nothing about it. You know. It's yeah. yeah. It's it's got a lot to answer for in my mind. Yeah. Uh, religion but yeah that's not something that um i understand that people people get comfort out of it and you know but i i think that you can kind of go one way or the other yeah um and i never got this the slightest no. bit of comfort from it because it's such a one-way thing i need feedback yeah you know it, yeah it, you don't get a lot of feedback from no do you, st- do you still meditate and do mindfulness is that something that you I do. You were for a while, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I do. And I, I notice when I don't, uh, more to the point. Is that, that on the um, Headspace? I started off calm, with the Headspace yeah. app. Calm is quite good, yeah. well, isn't it? That's quite good. And then I now I do a, just a 15-minute transcend, transcendental yeah. uh, like mantra-based meditation. Right. right. Um, and there's never any kind of spirituality in that for you? Or it is just far, a place to go? For and, me, yeah. Um, there's not to say that. I mean, spirituality is a another is a good question. I don't know if that's necessarily. I think that probably is a different thing to yeah. religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for for me, there there hasn't been. Um, but it's not to say that after. You know, if you were to sit in a cave and do it for three months, which is what some people do. Yeah. Then I can yeah. definitely imagine that you you tap into parts of your psyche and consciousness that at least elicit these feelings of spirituality, even if they're not actually there. Yeah, 
Can you can you do it and, and without a busy mind? Can you be still and present, or, or do you find that you? Because difficult, isn't it? I, I don't feel like I'm very good at it yeah. at all. There's a there's a guy there's a guy in Bakewell in Derbyshire called John Butler, and he's a very spiritual man. But he's uh, he meditates every day for three hours in the church. Well, and he uh, he do, he's he's on he's very active on YouTube, and he just talks about keeping your feet on the floor, keep your feet grounded at all times. Yeah, and that's because the, the the floor of the earth, mother Mother Earth, is always still. Mm. And if you can just keep your feet grounded and centered, even if it's only for a few minutes, then you can, you know, you can meditate. And he's great. He's got an amazing voice as well. I'll talk Does about he? ASMR. You can yeah. listen to yeah. So if you if you, I would really advise you listen to him, John John Butler. He's an amazing out, yeah. amazing guy. Um, but the it's interesting. Have you heard of the the spirit molecule DMT? I haven't, no. So this is a chemical that the brain produces naturally mm. uh, in the pineal gland, actually. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and it's um, produced in tiny quantities as a neurotransmitter. Yeah. Um, but in much higher doses, it has extremely powerful um, psychedelic effects. And it induces... Um, it's a, It depends... How you take it, I believe, um, but it it can induce very powerful uh, feelings of spirituality in people that had no previous inclination towards oh, that right. sort of thing, okay. um, and it's um, it's something that has fascinated me for a while. DMT. DMT. I'll send you yeah. um, the names of a couple of yeah. books. And well, we we can put some links in the yeah, in the description means... and things to to John Butler and to DMT and yeah. to different things we've talked about. Um, amazing, Tom. We're going to leave it there. I think. Sounds good. I okay. uh, absolutely admire everything about you. Your strength of character. Everything well, about you. Craig, you know, the same can a, be said a, of you. I, well, uh, thank you. I mean, you're a special person. Oh. And. Um, <laughs> That's kind yeah. of you, thank you. We go back a ways now, don't we? Crikey, it's a long, long time. Uh, but no, Tom, thank you very much, and we'll we'll leave it there for today. Thanks, Craig. Okay, well, there goes Tom Leach. Thank you very, very much, Tom. Always a pleasure to speak to you. What a lovely guy. Great empathy for others, and um, always insightful. Uh, most of the time, I'll be very honest, what he says goes over my head, but uh, I'm just a dodgy old musician, so um, I guess that's not surprising really, but thank you very much. Keep on checking into the JGT podcasts on the website. Thank you for listening. Um, have a wonderful new year, and I hope 2020 brings you health and happiness. Bye for now.